0: Loreal, let's 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 uh, let's come at you on that one. What are your thoughts on that?
1: No, chemo sapi. do teachers need They already try to make sure that they're not hit nobody, you know, fight nobody back. And some people, just because they're a teacher, doesn't mean that they're mentally stable to have a gun.
0: and welcome back for a brand new episode of four friends in a book mm-hmm. i'm chris colston joined here with isaiah Tukes, kimberly lake and laria Reed. Mm-hmm. so if you're new to the channel four friends in the book podcast is our monthly podcast series where we have a discussion centered around a book that we're reading together and we meet here for the discussion of that book and any um, topics current events that may or may not relate to that book and of course we hit you guys with these rants at the end so somewhat of a book club book review mix with just table talk amongst friends so again if you guys haven't already please like share subscribe uh tell a friend family member coworker um, about our podcast and also hit us up in the comments slide in our DMs, send us an email mm-hmm. leave us a review we would love to hear from you guys if you have any feedback or if you have any book recommendations or topics you want us to discuss here on four friends in a book so, uh, yeah, again, Four Friends of, friend of the Book podcast. We read books over here. So for this month, we're we're in the kind of the short story genre of books. We're reading a uh, good selection. So Heads of the Colored People by Nafissa Thompson Spires. Um, interesting to read in our June selection uh, for this month. Again, kind of a collection of just short stories really kind of highlighting and, and capturing the black experience, um, living in the United States of America. So let's get into the discussion, let's unpack, let's talk about this book, um, Heads of the Colored People. So yeah, let's 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 talk about it. Let's let's uh let's get into it. So overall thoughts, you know, always my first question, overall thoughts about this book. And uh, we're we going to start Ms. Lake on this. We're going to come to her first.
2: Okay. Well, my overall thoughts on the book are, I actually enjoyed the book. I didn't know what to think about it because one, I don't read short stories that often or I don't think ever really. And two, with the title, I didn't know where it was going or what kind of content was in it. But I thought it was a really good book. It was um, short stories, but they were all about, different types of people and like mm-hmm. some were like serious stories some were like random stories some were like dark humor kind of stories so it was like all different kind of genres within the book so that's why i enjoyed it so it gave a good variety so if you're looking for a book that has different things in it to keep you interested i think this would be a great book to read
0: mm-hmm. sure okay good good
3: all right coming to my boy I what were your thoughts on this book man Um, My thoughts were, you know, generally like Kim's, I usually don't tend to Pick up short story books, and this was my first time even reading um, anything that Nafissa actually actually wrote. But to me, this was actually a good read. You know, the writing is sharp, clever, and funny. You know, as a black writer writing about black Americans, the stories, of course, are about race, but they're just never about race. And I think Nafissa did like a good job with looking and laughing at ways of the black expression, ways of identifying, and you know, defining our blackness that you know often has no bounds. And and then that way, you know, she makes you pause from holding your side and meditating on what you're actually being read being read um and this is often difficult to achieve you know with short stories due to like the nature of the genre and i think that this book is kind of you know like the storytelling that shows perspectives starting with those of us that felt that you know through our cities and our experiences and our struggles went unseen but just reading these stories like we're all on the same journey together and our stories actually aren't isolated at all
0: that's good. That's good. That's an interesting perspective. Um, all right, coming to Ms. Reed on this one. Your thoughts, your overall just opinion of this book, Heads of the Colored People by Nafissa Thompson Spires.
1: Well, I like the book. I uh, The first chapter, well, first of all, I should have been paying attention when we said what the book was and the summary of kind of what it was, short stories. So mm-hmm. the first chapter I was listening to, because I listened on Audible, and then when it went to the second chapter, I was like, okay, wait a minute, this isn't a continuation. I was like, oh, it's short story. Okay.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I was so far in on the first chapter, I was wanting some more to go along with the first chapter, um, mm-hmm. but going to the different stories, I enjoyed it because it was, uh, it was reflective for me uh, because I started thinking about a lot of the scenarios and things that I've gone yeah. through as well as some of the things that she was saying about the different characters. I liked the way it was well-rounded. Um, mm-hmm. it was different people, different kinds of black people, different types of, I mean, if you're black, you've gone through at least one of these experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, short story. so I really, really liked it. I liked the writing. I liked the way it was, um, Isaiah used a good word sharp. It was very sharp, very, um, well thought. I can tell she thought this thing through mm-hmm. and it was, very. Uh, I'm trying to think of how I should say it. It felt like she had friends that gave her some stories or something. I don't know, but it just felt so real. I was like, "Yeah, that happened to I me too." That. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> to me. so
0: that's that's how I like. I I really liked it. It was cool. Okay. Yeah, I agree with all you guys. It was a a good, interesting read. Um, I, I think we're all kind of on the same page here. Not a big fan of short stories, and honestly, I think because and you guys kind of alluded to it as well. Like you read these short stories, and just when I was really getting into it, it just stopped.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true.
0: And so that was kind of the hard part with me uh with this book. Uh uh Nifissa does a great job of really kind of setting up the groundwork. And like I said, it's really short, concise, condensed, but she lays it out so well that you really get involved, you get intrigued by these characters, and then it just kind of it stops, it ends. So my mm-hmm. only complaint was like, man, I really want to hear the extended version of these stories. The short stories kind of threw me yeah. for a loop. Um, mm-hmm. because I was just I got involved, I got engaged, and then it just ended. So mm-hmm. um but you guys kind of mentioned it as well. We kind of go to the next topic, uh it's just a series of different uh short stories. I mean, we have you know hearing stories about Fatima Suicide Watch, uh the conversation about bread, um just different different stories within this collection that really highlight and capture kind of the black experience and really just shows the diversity uh but then us that we're not really monolithic as a a culture of people we have different aspects different um sides of us different expressions of us and i think she does a good job of really conveying that throughout these different short stories that are just kind of interwoven throughout this book so with that being said, what was your favorite short story of this book? And I'm I'm gonna come to Isaiah on this. I'm gonna start with you, brother. What was that that short story that really just drawed you in, kind of captivated you, intrigued you
3: as you're reading this collection? <laughs> I tried to, you know, narrow this down, but I really actually can pick two of them the first one i think i choose is bell's letter you know which is you know the mother's it changes notes in their daughter's backpacks that was a good you know and i was had to catch myself because i'm i'm laughing as re, i'm reading the books because i'm like these grown women are talking to each other in these letters like this like is it, it was, what it wasn't no censorship like they are really getting down to how they feel about their daughters and they're passing those to their book bags and the next story for me i think was the necessary changes have been made you know dealing with office politics at a hbcu i think that this books you know talked about you know office gender politics and traditional at a black university and i think it uh, centers around a young black professor I, I think it was Black, a Black professor, Randolph, which actually came from a liberal college and came over to a HBCU. Didn't want anyone to turn the lights on in his office because I think he had something sensed in his eyes and had to use natural light. I'm like, who does that? But we have all experienced that <laughs> kind of scenario when we're in an office setting of people just coming in from different um, um, aspects of life and you just have to deal with them in a certain situation.
0: That's true. Yes. That's good. That's good. All right. Coming to coming to Miss Reed, Laria Reed on this one. What was that story or a few stories, a collection of stories for you through this book that really just kind of resonated and, and was your favorite or stand out?
1: Well, the one that stood out to me was Fatima and Violet. Um, I don't know what the name of that one was, but um I think it was just Fatima. I can't remember. But anyway, she um uh, reminded me of myself in certain instances because she wasn't black enough for the black people, but she didn't, wasn't white enough for the white people. <laughs> she was just like, <laughs> in between, and then she has a friend, which was very odd. Her friend is albino. Her name is Violet, and she's teaching her the black experience, right. you know? And so she's kind of playing it cool because she's got the blonde hair and the eye color and all that. So the black people think of her in a certain way during the 90s early 90s and it was just a lot and it was in the early 90s just like it was with me because they were calling her a white girl. That's, that's what I was called in middle school. I was called white girl. It was kind of like a, a whole, I was like, oh my God, this, this is me in certain instances. Um, it was the same kind of way. So it was very, like I said in the beginning, this whole book was very reflective for me. And with those stories, that whole section, um, I don't want to give all of it away if you're reading the book. But um, when she talks about all the different things and even dating a white guy, I never did that. but. Uh, <laughs> It almost happened the my dude was scared. He was scared. This is in high school. But anyway, so, um, uh, but yeah, just, just the whole trying to, and and she even talked about getting her black experience from going to church, which was Mm -hmm. me. I was like, oh my God, yeah, because when I was in school, I was like, maybe the only black person there, just like her being in a private school at the time. So um, I just really identified with that. And that was like one of the chapters that stuck out to me the most.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Good, good. Kim, what about you? What was that uh, that story or a few stories that really just kind of resonated, stood out, that you really uh, kind of connected with as you're reading this this book, The Heads of the Colored People by Nathissa Thompson Spires?
2: Well, Isaiah and I are on the same wavelength because those <laughs> two actually were my favorite short stories. I love Bell's Letters because it just reminded me of like modern day would be like the Housewives of Atlanta. It was it was just yeah. like shady, juicy, two parents going back and forth, throwing shade at each other, but using their children. So I just thought it was very entertaining. And then the other um short story reminded me of myself. And the little microaggressions you have sharing the space with somebody, like um, mm-hmm. they did. So he couldn't turn on the lights because he had migraines. So his coworker had to kind of be in the dark, but she mm-hmm. wanted the light on and all that stuff. But I remember, like in college, I had a roommate that, like, you know, you <laughs> know, it, it was a thing. So we had we did a lot of that stuff in the room for like the whole year. Like I'm watching a TV program, you watching on your TV loud. I turn up my TV. You go to sleep with the music on. I got to turn your music down. Like, it was a whole thing. So I related to that because mm-hmm. I just I just lived that for my freshman year in college. But those were two of my um,
0: favorite stories in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I, and I agree with you guys. I, I think all the stories are very relatable. Um, I really love Bell's Letters as well and how it actually kind of rolled into hearing. And you start with the parents going back and forth and bickering. And you can really see I me. Mean, you got two... You know doctors mothers that are very you know adamant about securing their their daughter's futures and just kind of making sure that they're good and just kind of being petty for the most part going back and forth arguing about stuff and and kind of hearsay and gossip type of stuff and i think in the end they end up being friends or something but i think the reason i like that one because that was kind of the the starting point for even the, I think the second and the third story, where it kind of really got into Fatima's life um and her and the, I, mean, I can't remember the other girl's name, but like the only two black students within the school, you kind of hear that story and kind of their perspective. So I think again, this was a short story, so this one was kind of a collection that kind of kept, I guess, moving or whatever. So I was really drawn in by that one. Uh, but yeah, it was a lot of other ones. Uh, the other one for me was uh, not today, Marjorie. So yes. everybody can relate to this. You in the DMV, I don't care where you at, what city, state, DMV is always horrible. Like, just mm-hmm. the line's always long. You spend a whole day in there waiting. Just mm-hmm. really hearing her story, just kind of the frustration she has of being in here, seeing people kind of bickering, wasting time, not being efficient. Um, so that was also a good story. So just, again, a lot of stories, that I think we all can relate to, that we all have probably some experience with as well. And so she does a good job really putting that in a book form, short story form, and really just uh, kind of captivating you. I would really love them just see these things like brought to film or even like on YouTube as like shorts. stuff. I think we really really uh, kind of, you know, play out well in that, in that form as well. So, all right. So we kind of talked about it and I kind of hit on it a little bit as well. Um, so Nafisel does a good job of really just kind of showing, I guess, the black experience within America. So um different perspectives from different people, different backgrounds, different walks of life. So what do you guys think were some of the major themes um throughout the book or that were kinda of highlighted from that perspective or things that you kinda of picked up on as you were reading it? And I'm I'm gonna come to Larry on this one. What was a, a theme or like a a kind of topic that you really thought was being pushed throughout this book or that you kind of identified as you were reading um, Heads of the Colored People?
1: Um, the biggest thing that I got from it is, I guess the underlying current is that everybody is in a different place within their Black experience, within mm-hmm. their lives. And so sometimes, and maybe I'm reading too much into it because I'm like kind of, An optimist, but it just feels (laughs) like, like even from the first chapter, it's a man trying to sell something, and it's a man trying to go to the uh, anime uh, uh, convention or whatever he's going to. So it's like you're seeing where he is, you're seeing where this, and one of them means one thing from something, and the other one takes it a different way. And it's kind of like we're all on this journey together, in a sense, and we all have our own backgrounds, our own, where we came from, and to be respectful of that, and to just kind of just chill out, because we're all of color, and we're in this thing together, so that's kind of what I got from, if you really look at all of the stories, the underlying thing, even with the petty letters, <laughs> it was, you know, I'm doing this, and my daughter is doing that, and really what it was, was there's two mothers who are really overachievers, who had to mm-hmm. fight to get to where they are, And they just want to make sure that their children are taken care of, you know. So it was always like an undercurrent of, you know, being respectful of other people's experiences. That's what I got for.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I I agree. I think it was really very telling of the different type of experiences that we have. So, you know, even you're talking about these mothers. So kind of middle class in a situation or scenario where, you know, they want their children to do well they're only the only you know black students within a predominantly white institution mm-hmm. and, and kind of dealing with that whole thing as far as trying to climb kind of the corporate ladder but also making sure that your daughters are are doing well and adjusting and you know kind of the social aspects of that so even getting into the politics and so you also hear themes of like sexuality and kind of just body mm-hmm. image um you know how you're presented how you're represented so even talking about the You know dressing up in the you know kind of anime or costume like cosplay type of stuff Mm -hmm. which isn't traditionally something that you know we have been uh kind of at the forefront of but again there there's an audience for that and we're not just so you know boxed in that we just had to be all about certain activities like we can kind of really cross the spectrum so i think those were some of the things that i kind of picked up on um even topics of religion um, interracial dating so just a lot of different topics that i think we all can relate to Mm-hmm. Uh, within our culture, within the black experience of uh, being in the United States. So, Most definitely. Right. Kim, what did you, what uh, themes or topics kind of stood out to you as you read these different uh, short stories?
2: For me, um, everybody kind of touched on it, but it was just basically that. Um, yes, we are Black, but we all have varied experiences within our Blackness. So I like how she highlighted, as you said, the kid that goes to the anime conventions because I know a lot of Black kids that go to those things. Um, sure. The Black girl that has the eating disorder, you know, we never really hear about that um the jack and jill rich parents in that part of society you know um somebody coming from a white environment coming into a black environment working so it's all different types of experiences and that um we're not um all the same because a lot of times you know people look as black people or the experience is a monolith and sometimes i think people are um may feel like boxed in by it but i think this book highlights that we're all different you know, mm-hmm. and um that's a good thing. So we all have varied experiences that we all can learn from each other.
0: Okay. Okay. Isaiah, what was that uh I guess kind of things or yeah. point of views or topics that you can identify with or you two discovered as you read these different short stories um by Napissa Thompson Spires.
3: You know, uh, you know, for me as I, you know, went through and reading the books chapter after chapter, you know, Nephista writes about being black in America. And these stories represent both powerful tastes and new angles on these issues, at least for me, you know, whether it was something as obvious as black youth getting gunned down or a reason by police officer or black politics within academia. I feel that I understand these situations, you know, just a much better, you know, from having read these stories. It helps the author, you know, write beautiful sentences isn't in, in the field so she isn't afraid to actually go there and stray away from the convention um don't like you all said don't put you know just one all black people into one box we all like all different things all different genres you know I don't care whether it's skydiving or whether you're going to, like you say, seeing these different uh, animation. like we all like different things and, you know, that's what makes the Black experience us, that makes us unique and I think that she highlighted every single thing and then whether you have actually experienced some of these stories or even heard some of these stories, we all felt, you know, comfortable because all these stories resonated with something that's within our lives. Mm-hmm.
0: Good,
3: good. Yeah, brother, I think you've had a good point. Like I said,
0: it's just so much and we're not, you know, kind of just typed or one type of people, you know, our culture um, and all cultures, you know, have different varieties of people, ideas, thoughts, um, and expressions of that. And so I Mm -hmm. think that's does a good job of really kind of capturing that throughout this book, um, heads of the colored people. So Again, if you guys haven't picked it up and read it already, I hope that that's kind of talking about and discussing it will be kind of a, a movement for you to kind of pick it up and uh, read this book. Like I said, it's a good collection of short stories. I was a little upset because I wanted to see the ending. Like, you know, I just, uh, she was drawing me in and then she cut me off. the legs, and So that was my only complaint if I had one, but I think it was very relatable. So if you guys haven't already, check out the book. It's a good read. And it does like i said mention kind of showcase and highlight um the experience and expression that we have um as black people living in the united states of america mm-hmm. um so good read check it out go pick it up all right so we're gonna we're gonna transition a little bit we're gonna pivot a little bit you know four friends in a book we read books but we also have discussions about current event hot topics mm-hmm. things that are trending or relevant to today mm-hmm. today's time and so I said, you kind of mentioned it, um so one of the stories within the book was uh two chalk outlines, mm-hmm. so actually, you know two of the characters within the book um, end up being shot and killed, and mm-hmm. so even in today's time, we're in this space again where um gun violence mass shootings has they're starting to run rampant again uh, mm-hmm you know we had the the school shooting in Uvalde Texas we had the the shooting at the grocery store in Buffalo and so the discussion about gun control has come to the forefront again you know this is nothing new uh we've had these discussions over the decades you know we been talking about school shootings back in columbine and other things so um mm-hmm. even here locally in Georgia you know our governor has recently signed legislation that allows um Um, I guess the citizens to now carry guns without a permit, so uh, Mm -hmm. not requiring you to to be licensed. You can now conceal carry without any type of permit. So the discussion about gun control, gun safety, um, new legislation is kind of really at the forefront now, especially with the amount of mass shootings and just deaths in general. You know, we hear the discussion United States has the most guns and also the most deaths. Um, by guns amongst all other countries. So I kind of want to talk about that. You know, like I said, we, in the book, there was a, a, a chapter where, you know, two young men died at the hands of guns. And so kind of relating that to what we're seeing right now as well. So what are you guys' thoughts about, I guess, kind of even, let's start at the beginning. Um, what do you stand on Second, Second Amendment rights? Or what are your thoughts about the Second Amendment right? Which uh I guess grants us citizens the right to, to bear arms. And we're gonna we're gonna come back to Ms. Lake. We're gonna start with her on this one.
2: Okay. Well I am not a gun owner, but I have shotguns. So I believe that um we as citizens, I think we do have the right to bear arms or have guns um for our protection. Um I'm not opposed to guns. Um I think anything like guns, like alcohol, whatever, you need to be responsible in your use of them. Um, but I am not opposed to guns or gun usage.
0: Okay. Like I'm, I'm coming to real next. I want to hear a female perspective, and then we're gonna switch over. So, Lori, what are your thoughts on this I got Second, amendment, <laughs> right.
1: oh, uh, Second Amendment right? Oh, Second Amendment. Well, okay. So let's go back to the history of the Second Amendment and why it was there. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we need to update a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Going back to, as Kim said, I'm not opposed to guns, but my thing is, why do I need a gun? Like, what what do I need one for? And I'm not just talking about just for me. I'm talking about everybody. Why do we need them? Are they for recreational usage? For going out deer hunting? Or is this just, if I feel somebody comes on my property or something and I think they may do something to me that I can start shooting because I'm a citizen. And I just feel that the second amendment is kind of outdated. Um, And I think it needs to be, you got the right to do, we got a right to do a lot of things, but is it beneficial? Is it helpful? So, I mean, you can have it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I believe if somebody's trying to break in your house and yeah, of course you you're gonna need a gun, but you're gonna need a gun because they got one. You know what I'm saying? So that's really the whole point of having a gun at this point is to protect yourself from the from the fool who's got one who's not being responsible. But uh but anyway, so yeah, that's where I am with the second amendment. I just feel that it it's outdated. It was done at a time when people were vigilantes they were running people off their land they were killing people if we just go back and be honest about it it wasn't for good reason mm-hmm. um, so yeah that's where i
0: am with it if that makes sense
3: Perfect.
0: <laughs> interesting yeah like my, like my boy says fine interesting interesting <laughs> <laughs> all right i said what are your thoughts on this topic
3: uh, you know, for me, the second amendment is the only constitutional right people pretend that can't have any regulation. This amendment guarantees the right. It does guarantee the right to bear arms, but it doesn't say that you can have any weapons you want and that you can process in, that you can actually use them as you should want to as easy as it has become and it has become easy to begin to get an automatic weapon than it is to adopt a dog. The second amendment is why we can't go to school or work. Or the house of worship, or a nightclub, or just going anywhere outside in a public gathering without fear of being shot and the second amendment is why you can't immediately be arrested for openly carrying an assault rifle in a public place and you can't be immediately arrested for even smuggling hand cannon i mean a hand cannon in your gym shorts and like laurel say when this second amendment was actually drafted it was at a time when militia was actually coming to your home but we live in 2022 militias are not coming to your home at the time and if the government does come to your home it's nothing that you or your handgun can do to stop their bulldozer from coming inside your home so so I think that something that should be drafted more consciously of what the Second Amendment should actually stand for in the modern day times and not when it's actually written in the seventeen hundreds that's good that's good so uh
0: yeah let's let's kinda unpack this you know look i I consider myself to be an amateur historian, so let's let's unpack <laughs> the history a little bit uh so first first of all i I am pro second amendment. Um, I am a gun owner. I am a licensed concealed carry owner. Um, I have always got kind of shotguns. Um, started out, my dad got me into hunting and fishing as a, at a young age, so started out kind of that area, but then kind of move into more recreational shooting. Um, like I mm-hmm. said, my friends, we we go out shooting. I frequent the gun range, so um, I, I, I am pro second amendment. Um, but i I do think like you guys mentioned the history of it is a little different um so even looking at the you know the right to form militias and also to bear arms i think that was kind of again 17 uh, 91 was when the second amendment was was drafted Mm -hmm. or ratified and i think at that time it was really kind of predicated on the notion of the states retaining power not allowing you know the the big government or federal government to kind of supersede some of the state rights Mm -hmm. you also had this this thing that was going on within the states let's be honest about it so slave patrol was a big thing within the states especially the southern states um so you just came up with this uh haitian revolution where you know haiti haitians black people that were enslaved have now freed themselves and i think that was a concern as well even Within the United States as far as um you know slave revolts. And you kind of see that happening, you know, um Nat Turner, Denmark VC, all these things that happened where, you know, people then formed militias and had guns, slave owners had guns to kind of control certain aspects um of their population. And even with that being said, free black people couldn't have and own guns at that time. So we had the we had the constitution. It wasn't really for black people at that time even similar to voting you know we didn't we didn't have those rights um but mm-hmm. now things are kind of changed and so i view it kind of the same lanes of that you know initially it wasn't for us but um the access is now granted so i think like anything else we should take advantage of it um i'm not opposed to it being regulated more um, i'm not opposed to um you know laws being in place to kind of i've heard brock talk about it one time where he was mentioning how like it's so much money involved in politics it. they won't even they won't even allow like studies of like guns Mm -hmm. um, and and murder and crime and how these things have an effect so i think those are kind of all factors that kind of really spawn this whole notion about gun control gun safety and all that 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 aspect so um yeah it's kind of been a back and forth conversation for a long time a long period of time so all right so kind of even moving a little further with that so right now we're hearing discussion about again um you know these 18 year olds now having that as they kind of mentioned it you know easier to go get a an assault rifle um than it is to kind of perform other acts you know you can't even legally drink but you at 18 can now go purchase an, uh, an assault rifle so do you guys think that there should be scripted gun laws you think that laws that are currently on the books are enough um what are your thoughts in that area and i'm, I'm gonna come to Isaiah on this one and kind of get your 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 input
3: okay well you know for me yes i support you know stricter gun laws you know there should be you know a ban on assault weapons raising the age to purchase weapons from 18 to 21. institute a national back i mean buyback program limit the number of guns like each person or each home can actually have and strengthen the background track. And sometimes they need, well, not sometimes, they need to actually stop doing this instant background check as well. You know, as Chris said, like you, you're a respectable person of the community. So I respect people who actually have gun ownerships. They actually know how to do it. They actually know what they're doing. And I think they're, you know, a useful tool in protecting, you know, yourself and as well as your home. And I just have doubts about, you know, the ways that some people just imagine how they'll handle themselves, you like in a match shooting type of um, an event. And I think, like, the most uh, forceful reaction to these strict gun laws would be, like, to hold the gun manufacturer's liable. And the reason right. I say this is that because gun rights activists know that gun control cannot get past the Congress. But holding the gun manufacturer's liable is a path I think that should be explored. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, good, good. Larry, what are your thoughts on this, on this topic? So are you, for or do you yeah. oppose for stricter gun laws within the united states
1: i think we do need some stricter gun law, uh gun laws um as i said before i'm you want a handgun or you want to go deer hunting or doing different things cool and i even know um a person he's a part of a gun club thing where they do like um you can see him on youtube where they do those um makeshift like scenarios or you shoot with certain guns and all that i think that's cool if you go to like a gun range you can check out guns and you want to you know some people have a fascination with that that's cool but i don't think it'd be so easy for you to just go buy ak-47 or whatever the uh guns are just you just go to a gun show oh let me just buy this gun and now i've got it i think that's very ears that's scary that's like giving a car to a 16, 17-year-old, 18-year-old, um, they, they don't know what to do yet. <laughs> That's why your parents <laughs> give you so many rules, like, make sure that you do this. Make sure that you do that. Because it's almost like having a loaded gun, and I don't think that everybody is responsible. So I feel that they, we do definitely need some stricter laws when it comes to those guns like that. Because, I mean, by the time I pull my my pistol out, you done shot 800 shots. <laughs> like, I mean what that's how all these people are getting killed because it's just like, I mean, you can come in just Ugh. I mean, why do we have these out in regular everyday life? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? You're not going to war. We're not in war. So what do you need these for? That's mm-hmm. my thing.
0: Yeah. And I and I understand that. And like I said again, I I I shoot for sport and recreation, also hunt, so I kind of understand both sides of it um, with some of the guns that are kind of just more for, you know, some people just get excited by guns and just kind of the thrill of shooting and, and those aspects of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not opposed to stricter laws. I think the majority of gun owners and people that shoot are very responsible and I think that they are doing what's right, going through the right processes to ensure that they are allowed to have these firearms and that they are you know, doing the, the, the proper things to obtain them. Um, I'm not opposed to more uh, things put in place, um, mm-hmm. especially with gun safety. I think a lot of people just because we have access, they're just going out and get them, but they don't have the proper training, the understanding. Like I said, I started at a very young age, my father kind of instilling and teaching me these things. So over the years, of course, I've you know become more experienced, but I think some people just you don't have that background and you don't aren't required to have certain training You're just going out and get stuff and now you can become a danger to others so I'm not opposed to having some um laws and enacted to try to make it safer. The other part of it is though i I think sometimes you know we especially we talk about you know legal and lawful gun owners, but also the criminal aspect of it, whereas the criminals aren't going through these things. And so that's the part that can be kind of blurry sometimes, you know, if you're a criminal, you're already doing crime. So you're not obtaining these guns in a legal manner anyway. So a lot of times that becomes a, you're you're adding more to the people that actually want to, you know, do things the right way and legally, um, but the criminals are still doing stuff, you know, irresponsible and, and doing illegal means of obtaining stuff anyway. So you're not really capturing and, and preventing them in certain aspects so i think that's kind of the argument that some people have that that are opposed to script gun laws but like i said me personally i think there needs to be a balance um to really ensure that things are just safe and that we are as a people and as a nation are just safe with with guns and again i would considering the amount of deaths that we've had by the hands of guns it just it's getting ridiculous so something does have to change something something needs to change in that area so all right. So, Ken, what are your thoughts on, on this topic about uh, gun laws, gun control? Um do we have enough legislation, laws in place right now? Um do we need to kind of roll that back? What are, what are your thoughts
3: on that?
2: I am actually for stricter gun laws, and I'm glad you brought up that argument <clears throat> with people. It's not like I did said people act like this is a the- Only thing you can't put regulations on. But I know a lot of people say like, well, there's criminals and criminals aren't going to follow the law. So, um, you know, we need to like leave the the laws how they are. But in every other area, we put stricter laws in when something happens. For instance, 9-11 happened right after 9-11. We could they got the TSA. You got to take your shoes off. You can't We all these regulations came into place. Nobody was like, well, a terrorist is going to just be a terrorist. So even Mm -hmm. though we have these laws in place, if they want to do something, they're going to do it anyway. So we don't need these stricter laws like every other area of life. We do this. I remember when they had the whole hearing about when somebody was tampering with Tylenol and killing people Mm -hmm. right after that. We regulate it. Everything has to have a safety cap and not like all mm-hmm. the like tamper evident things. So we do that in every other mm-hmm. area. So I don't see why we can't do it with guns. Um, there's other countries that show that they, when they put a ban on assault rifles or bans on this, like the shootings do go down. So I think having these um, stricter laws will help because. They are shown to help in every other area when we lock down stuff, it seems to help. So I think in this instance, it will help as well. So I don't know why people are so against it Mm -hmm. in this area, because it literally (laughs) in every other area happens like immediately. So Mm -hmm. I'm for stricter gun laws. And yeah, criminals are going to be criminals. But I mean, we look at abortion. Uh, People were against abortion. What do they do? They try to put stricter laws in place. To kind of quell the abortions happening. So if that's the case, we using that same reasoning, um, because usually conservatives on the right have this reasoning. So if uh the why have stricter laws for abortions, because if you want an abortion, you're gonna get one anyway. So like, but they still put those laws in place. So I think um having stricter laws are a good thing. And it shows um just historically in other countries that it does
0: work.
3: Sounds mm. good. I love that. That's
0: good. That's good. Mm-hmm. I think you got to bring up good point. I think the one kind of element in this room is this: the amount of money that is surrounded by, you know, the NRA gun ownership. Like, I think that's kind of really the element in the room as far as how corporations are really influencing how the laws and legislation works within our, our country. And I think that's kind of the, the the bad aspect of it. There's so much money. In politics, and I you know not only even even in guns, but other things as well. And so, I until we really resolve some of those issues and, and some of the, the the greed and just kind of you know influence that corporations have with with the the dollar, I, I mm-hmm. think we're also going to have a hard time of really getting certain things, you know, put in place after mm-hmm. all these mass shootings, school shootings. You would have thought that we would have done something by now, but again, the the money has been the driver for so much, and it's just it's really sad to to kind of see that. All right, so one one more question about this, and we we kind of move on. So again, had the the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, just a tragic, another tragic event where you know the loss of life by kids just you know for no reason at all so the discussion has come up often about um arming teachers um or having guards at schools. so considering the amount of mass students that we have had at schools what are you guys thoughts on on that kind of notion the concept of arming the teachers or having armed guards at the school and kind of what effect would you even think that would could potentially have so, real Let's 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 uh, let's come to you on that one. What are your thoughts on that?
1: No, Kimo savvy. <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> they're already trying to make sure that they're not hitting nobody, you know, fight nobody back. And some people, just because they're a teacher, doesn't mean that they're mentally stable to have mm-hmm. a gun. I mean, I think we would have more instances of guns going off. Somebody didn't have a safety lock on the gun. One of the kids got it to the gun. You know, it it just it's too much. So, and like I said, when we look at these school shootings, they're coming in with assault rifles. Unless you got an assault rifle, you can't compete with that. It's going to be kind of like on Harlem nights. With, <laughs> 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 like that. Yeah. And I just not think that's going to be helped at all because that's going to pose another security risk to the child. Um, if you want to do metal detectors or something like that, okay. But once again, Sandy Hook and the school in Texas, those were elementary schools. So what elementary kid, you know, coming in with a, with a gun? It's not from them. It's from the outside coming in. So Mm -hmm. I believe maybe we need to have um, an officer at each school or something, maybe to make sure that things are, you know, just to bring the level down. Because when people see a police car anywhere, the level of obedience comes in. (laughs) There's a level of respect that happens. So, um, but yeah, that's my, I don't believe that that, I don't believe that teachers should have guns in in the classroom.
0: I don't think that should, no. Okay, good. Isaiah, what about you,
3: brother? I think it's just important to remember that, you know, Republicans are not interested in solving problems. They're interested in creating pretextual excuses to absolve them from having to solve problems. And the folks who are talking about hardening schools are now the same folks who couldn't even figure out how to provide ventilation for these same schools to protect the kids from the pandemic. And now teachers have been yelling about how stressed and exhausted. They are for years. And now you want to put guns in the hands of people that already are stressed and exhausted. And I think the easiest way to protect school children from gun violence is to restrict access to guns the safest way to protect children from gun violence is to restrict access to guns and the most cost effective way to protect children from gun violence is to restrict access to guns not put more guns in the school like you said they could be more easy for children to get the guns. why not just take them out and just actually do not put a band-aid on this situation actually deal with it head on mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you kind of highlighted the band-aid. So, all right, Kim, what are your thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, I Teachers think- being
0: armed in school <laughs> systems.
2: Uh, I say no as well. You know, I did a short stint as a substitute teacher, so I could not imagine having to do that. <laughs> And worry about having a gun, and then like you already worried about the safety of your kids in the class. So now you got to worry about having the gun locked up so kids can't get the gun. i um, like Maria said, people are unstable on edge, and I think when um, you are angry about something, or you know you're you just have a moment, just you're seeing red. Having a gun there makes it easier for you to re- react with it. So I just think it's a big liability and a big mess. So I'm for you, you know. Having armed security, or like like Luria said, police, a police officer in the school, a police officer in the school. I know the school I did um, in Tennessee that I subbed that they had two officers that were actual actual police officers that would you know drive around the school and the campus, all that stuff. I'm for that. But As far as teachers, no, I just think that would be a big big mess.
0: Yeah, I can agree with that. And even now, you know, we're still hearing some of the testimony about the stuff that happened at Uvalde, and just even. Mm-hmm. You know the trained police officers weren't even willing to go in and they you know they had they were armed already so trained officers that's a lot to leverage on a teacher um i don't think it should be mandated i don't think it should be required teachers are already underpaid overworked um that's a lot to ask of them i, I think if that's something they want to do maybe mm-hmm. the option should be there um the same way you have the option, you know, within our country to you know carry a gun or choose not to. Um, but I don't think it should be required. I don't think it should be mandated. Like I said, they they got enough on their plate at this point to be trying to worry about now, also trying to to shoot back at somebody. So all right, so good conversation, good discussion. We just wrapped up the book, Heads of the Colored People by Nafissa thompson spires had the discussion about gun control gun rights and just everything that's going on right now in this country it's just it's so much um, but again we have to have these discussions we have to kind of talk about it to kind of unpack so we can move forward um so i appreciate you guys you know good input good feedback good discussion i, I always want to hear from y'all i love it <laughs> All right, so look, y'all already know what time it is. We have it every episode. It's called The Rant. 60 Seconds. Uninterrupted. Speaking from the heart. Whatever's on your mind, whatever you're feeling. We don't debate it. We don't de- we don't really contest it. Just letting it flow from none other than my boy, Mr. Rant Man himself. He killed these rants every episode. We got to give them to you. It wouldn't be a show without one. So my brother Isaiah, too, with this rant, we never know what we're getting. It's always new to us. So my brother, do what you do. Starting now,
3: go. It's interesting that we actually had this discussion on gun violence. And, you know, it may not be the time, but I'll say it anyway. It needs to be sensible gun legislation that is actually needed. Mass shootings are occurring legitimately every single day. 198 mass shootings have occurred and it's only June. Each day, you can't even catch your breath because you're dealing with another mass shooting from either Black folks getting massacred in Topps' grocery store in Buffalo to the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. America will force people to have children, but won't lift a finger to support or protect those victims of gun violence. The same politicians restricting abortion rights are the same ones that have unfettered access to guns in spite of these repeated shootings, and these tragedies keep happening for a reason. There is no way that you can be pro-life and pro-unrestricted Second Amendment. How many lives have become collateral damage due to these unchecked gun control? Politicians have decided that these dead victims are a price they're willing to pay to maintain political power. And that's that on that.
0: We say that often here on Four Friends in the Book, we have to kind of be the catalyst for change that we want to see. We have to exercise our rights, which is Mm -hmm. Voting, you know, we're voting these politicians into office, and we have to hold them accountable. And we have to really try to push for the change that we want to see, because, like I said it's at the expense of lives at this point. So we got to do something to to fix this and to rectify this problem. So good rant, brother. Good discussion. All right, four friends in the book podcast. We read books over here, so we're gonna tell you about the book we got for next month. We want you guys
3: to read with us. So Isaiah. Tell them what we got coming up for next month. And as Chris said, each month, we try to bring something new, a new perspective that you actually can read. And next month, we'll actually be reading The Eyes of Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. Larea, please let the viewers know when they can tune in.
1: You can tune in every third Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.
2: And you can like us on Facebook. And follow us on Instagram to keep up with our latest shows and the latest content we are putting out. And we would love to hear from you.
0: All right. As always, guys, we thank you for tuning in with us, for your support, for just rocking with four friends in the book podcast. Mm -hmm. And again, let's continue to read. Let's learn. Let's grow. And let's have a discussion here on four friends in the book. Thank you.